What's the best mattress for you? Well, if you're an egg or a kitten, check out the competition. But if you're a human person, put your body on a nectar mattress. As well as award-winning layers of comfort, you can sleep easy knowing you got incredible value. Mattresses start at just $499, and you get hundreds of dollars in accessories thrown in, as well as a 365-night home trial and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the podcast that follows the money behind the beautiful game. I'm Kevin Day, here on the leafy borders of South London and North Surrey, just next to the A23, a stone's throw from Thornton Heath. And over there in proper rural Sussex is Kieran Maguire, expert on football finance at Liverpool University, who is over the moon at a mere mention in the Middlesbrough Press. How are you, Kieran? I'm, I'm great as always, uh, tickety-boo. Yeah, you were very pleased about that. Though. I've, I've had a very excited message from you. I thought we'd won some money, but no, we were just in, just mentioned on the back pages of the Middlesbrough Gazette or whatever it was. Um, so, Kieran, it's it's questions day today. It's Monday, so we we're, we're going through some listeners' questions and very good questions they are too. Thank you for those. But there are a couple of big stories that we need to discuss first, which happened between our last pod and this one. And I think football's getting wise to us. I think they've decided to drop all their big stories on a day we're not recording a pod. But um, first of all, Tottenham, Kieran. Tottenham borrowed £175 million from the Bank of England at the end of last week, which raises a few questions. Not the least is, where does the Bank of England get money like that from at this this day and age? Well, um, unlike... Uh, you and me, uh, but like Mickey Thomas, uh, the, the Bank of England can effectively just print money. Um, so the, what <laughs> that's a good done... reference. That's a reference for the for the youngsters. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down with the kids. Um, so what Spurs have done is that they've effectively printed some IOUs for 175 million quid, and the uh, Bank of England has bought them off uh, off Spurs and is and is charging them 0.5% interest. This is something called the COVID corporate financing facility which is only available to those companies who make a material contribution to the UK. Oh, right. Um so in in terms of the loans they have for the stadium, this is a relatively small amount, is it? And it, it's it's just to get them through COVID. It seems for a club like Tottenham it seems odd that they've taken advantage of this. Well, I mean, the alternative is that uh, Spurs would have to have gone to a commercial bank and borrowed money who would have charged them a higher rate of interest. So right. so these loans, they, they vary between 0.1% and 0.5% interest. Um, so yeah, clearly, that's, that's very cheap. Um, they also have £637 million of loans, which are not due for repayment until the, the average is 2039. So they're clearly, they've got, they've got a long time. To, to wait for those to be repaid. And those are interest-only mortgages, but those are between 2 to 3% uh, in terms of interest. So you, you can see from a business point of view, um, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I, and I do think here, 
it's you know we, we spoke about this in terms of the furlough that perhaps we hold football clubs to a higher degree of scrutiny and a, and a higher degree of standing than we do for, for other companies. Um, if, if if you take a look at some of the other recipients of these loans, um, the biggest is the uh, the German chemical company called Bayer because they employ some staff in in the in the UK. But Bayer, of course, owned Bayern Munich. So yeah. Yeah, there was a big fuss about Spurs doing it, but the, the link to Bayern Munich hasn't been made, probably because the only person that goes through the list of every company that's done the borrowings is me. Um, but but all the same, are, are we applying double standards to a football club? Yes, yeah, fair point. Um, the only reason I was slightly annoyed by it is that NatWest wouldn't give me a COVID loan because apparently I earned about 300 quid too much last year, which is annoying, but never mind. Um now, a lot of season ticket shenanigans, uh, Kieran, uh, in the North East in particular. First of all, Newcastle have been accused of a dereliction of duty to fans for not communicating season ticket plans. And Sunderland season ticket holders were told they wouldn't receive a refund, but would instead get a free streaming pass. Uh, but the club have changed their mind on that one, and quite rightly so. So neither of these are a good look, are they, PR-wise? No, no. Uh, and again, it, it's a terrible thing to say. If, if there was one club who you thought was not going to offer refunds uh, or yeah. to delay communicating in the Premier League, it would be Newcastle United. Now, it, it could be that um, it's, it's all part of the negotiations for the sale of the club and, and certainly for a, you know, an instant PR win for the new owners. The first thing they do, they come in and say, hey, we're the good guys. We're going to offer you refunds. Here they are. So, you know, for all we know, this could be part of the the, the terms and conditions of the sale so that Mike Ashley continues uh, to be perceived as living in a hollowed out volcano, stroking a white cat most of the time. And, and the new owners can come in and, uh, you know, get the benefits of that. Uh, but it, it is pretty poor. It's a lack of communication. I think it's a lack of respect for the fans as well. Yeah, it says a lot for Mike Ashley that the Saudi government can come in and say, hey, we're the good guys. Um, the, the Sunderland story, Kieran, they, they have backtracked quite quickly, but I was really surprised to, to find out that they were planning not to refund season ticket money for missed games. Um, yes, uh, and, and it does seem crazy uh, you know, in, in League One that yeah, they've got five games left which might be taking place, um, and, and they said that uh, we'll, we'll give you access to watch the matches, but clearly that's that's not fair on an individual basis because you might have some families where there's what just one person in the household that, that yeah. watches the match and they've got one television, and I think we, said, we discussed this the other day, you might have another where you've got five or six people that go to the matches, but again, they can, they can only watch the matches on one occasion in front of the one telly. Um, it also initially... Uh, also applied to those fans who had bought next year's season tickets as well. They were going to say, well, we're not going to give you a refund on those if matches ah. take place behind closed doors. And I think that's what really uh, upset fans. Um, it, there's, there's been a quite a bit of research done. I think The Athletic have done some of this, and, and they've contacted fans in the EFL. And the majority have said, if we can afford it, we will um, you know, let the club keep the money because – yeah, you know, we're aware of the many clubs do have financial uh, challenges, but we like the choice. 
you know, if if we if we have, if our personal circumstances allow us to give the refund uh, back to the club, then then great. But if our personal circumstances are we've lost a job, we've not been able to loan, borrow money, you know, in similar situations to yourself, where whereby you, you fall between certain gaps in terms of loan for, loan uh, entitlements and things of that nature, then then people genuinely need the money, and in my opinion, they probably need the money more than the club. Well, of course, I mean, these, you're talking about something, you're talking about a big club here. We'll, we'll be discussing it further later on. So we'll keep our powder dry on that one because one of the questions is about them. Um, in terms of what it costs clubs, though, Kilmarnock have revealed some figures behind their season ticket refund, haven't they? That's right, and and it wasn't you know it wasn't a huge amount. It was a uh, was I think it was one hundred and sixty four thousand pounds. But again, the majority of the fans have said uh, in a similar position to Partick Thistle, um, we we will try we, we will try to help out as much as we can. But what was interesting in the Kilmarnock um, uh, press release, it says, look, if you if you need the money, for heaven's sake, take it. We we are not moral judges of your personal circumstances. Yes, we, we'd like the money if we could keep it, but you know, there's no obligation and, and do what you think is best. Um whereas I think the, the Sunderland approach, which seems you know, a bit mealy mouthed, it was yes, we we you're not going to give a refund. And it was only after the public outcry um and uh, certainly some of you know that they are very organized the Sunderland fans and they, they were straight on to the local papers they've got a really good podcast called wise men say who, who also dealt with this issue um that, that it was a sort of a, a, a complete u-turn it was one of those u-turns where they say oh we think you misunderstood um when we said you weren't going to a refund uh, we now are going to give you a refund uh, yeah it strikes me that kilmarnock's approach is absolutely right because at many clubs and i'm afraid palace are one of those uh included with without meaning to slightly upset some fans because the the refund request or, or suggestion was couched in such a way as that you getting the money back was like the last option. It's like, you know, the club would love it, the academy would love it, the foundation would love it and which is which is great and, and yeah, I'm a trustee of the foundation, of course we would love it. But I think the option should be, here's your money, you probably need it. If you don't, these are the other options. So well done, Kilmarnock. But on a, on a general season ticket um, uh, well, deal, the EFL have done a deal with Sky, haven't they? That's right. It's going to um, allow clubs to sell um, sort of virtual season tickets for the rest of the season. Um, and, and this is being dealt with in different ways. And I was contacted by a guy called Phil Clark. This morning, who's a Millwall fan, and he was saying that it's actually some of the stuff is linked to um, the individual club's insurance policies. So it could be that uh, if if you do have to give refunds, then uh, it's covered by insurance. But there's there's a new insurance company which many of the clubs have been uh, uh, associated with, who who of course have got a get out clause under these circumstances. So it looks as if Millwall um, aren't giving a refund and, you, and you're effectively forced to take the streaming. Although my understanding of consumer cre- of the Consumer Credit Act is that that's possibly illegal. Um, and then you've got clubs such as Hull who are not going to give season tickets the streaming. They simply aren't going to collect the last two months' worth of money due on the 
the installments, um, and, and they're going to charge fans £10 per match. So th- there's a lack of consistency uh, in terms of the EFL approach. And uh, unfortunately, uh, every time the EFL does a press release, I, I can't help but feel it ought to have the Benny Hill theme music in the background <laughs> because it, it does seem to sort of run round in circles. Yes, you know, I know a Millwall fan called Phil, but I wonder if he's Phil Clark. I've never known his surname. He's just Millwall Phil. Right. That's the way these things go. Ask him. Next time you see, talk to him, ask him if he's Millwall Phil. Okay. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's the Sunderland thing is slightly academic because League One haven't decided yet what they're going to do. There's a meeting on Tuesday, I understand, to decide what happens with the rest of the season and how it's played out, if it's played out. That's right. Uh, yeah, originally, this meeting was on the 1st of June. Then they couldn't reach a conclusion. So it was rescheduled for the 8th. And then another EFL pronouncement. It's now been put back to the 9th. Um, it, it does make you wonder how on earth League One clubs can finish the season. Because yeah. all, all the players, you know, if you talk to especially the, you know, the smaller clubs, um, they've got players who are still in furlough. They're, they're not back for, for small group training or things of this nature because they don't know whether they've got a season to to uh, reconnect with. So therefore, realistically, you're going to need you know, a minimum of two to three weeks of, of proper training, which takes us to the end of June. As we know, contracts expire on the 30th of June. And that means that how how can you play matches where you might have 10, 15 players who are out of contract, some of whom will have picked up offers from other clubs, others won't. Um, you know, some might, might want to put themselves in the shop window, others might be concerned about getting an injury. Now, remind me, is this going to be a vote of League One clubs or is this going to be the EFL deciding what happens to League One? No, it, it's, a, it's a straight vote. It's a, it, it's a, it's a majority decision. Um, certainly, when we, when we spoke to Brian at Shrewsbury on yeah. uh, on on the Thursday pod, it was quite clear that uh, Shrewsbury they they want the season to to end uh, because the costs of coming out of furlough are so prohibitive. If you listen to Dara McAntony at Peterborough, uh, he wants the the season to continue. You know, clearly, Peterborough have got a chance of uh, getting into the playoff places. So, so everybody's operating to a certain extent as to, to where their priorities lie, and, and and that's that's fine and good. You know, we, yeah, we all have slightly different personal circumstances, um, but you know, the, the, the noises appear to suggest I think the majority will go for terminating the season. Okay, well, we'll keep an eye on that one. We'll we'll, we'll be back on yeah Thursday, so that that, that result will be known. Um, it's time for questions, uh, Kieran. And our first question comes from uh, John Smith. Uh, I feel your pain, John. I've got uh, as well as Millwall Phil. I've got a very good friend called John Smith, who spent the eighties basically failing to sign on because every time he told the benefits people his name is John Smith, they told him to come back again with his real name. But it's a it's a pain for those people. But John's question is, Kieran, are there clubs better placed to ride this out than others? Um, this being COVID, obviously. Uh, and in particular, Kieran's favourite club, Bet365FC, or as the rest of us know them, Stoke City. Um, yeah, I, I take on board John's uh, comments. I mean, if you have a sugar daddy... As a club owner, <laughs> then you are in a far I'm, I'm, better position. I'm sorry, I'm laughing at that, Kieran, but I, I've I've heard you use that phrase in a different context. So we're back to Moscow again, here, aren't we? <laughs> we're back. I was thinking Trinidad, but carry on. <laughs> um, if if you do have a sugar daddy as as an, as an owner, um, then that person can effectively go into their personal stash of cash and uh, use that to help out the club. And and we've seen that um, 
in in respect of uh, Liverpool and Chelsea uh, over the course of the past two days. And, and for some reason, my my autocorrect has come up with Time Warner, which I think it means Timo Werner. Uh, in in respect of um, Liverpool and Chelsea, uh, both trying, both being interested in this player, so it looks like Chelsea are now going to sign Werner, um, and, and Liverpool certainly were interested. But if you take a look at the the backgrounds of the two owners, Chelsea is effectively funded by one individual in in, in the shape of Roman Abramovich. He's he's lent the club over one point three billion pounds. You know, astounding amounts of money, um, and he's in a position where he can put more in. If you if you contrast that to Liverpool, the approach of their owners, who are the Fenway Sports Group, um, you know, they're, they're taking a far more corporate approach, a far more um, sort of you know traditional business approach, and, and they're saying, well, we've got less money coming in, so we're going to put less money out. So. Um, Chelsea with Abramovich, they've got an advantage. Manchester City, and we'll be talking about City in, in more depth in, in the sense of um, you know, their their legal case uh, starts tomorrow. I think they're keeping their powder dry, but if they do qualify for the next year's Champions League, then expect that you know they are in a position to spend over the summer. Whereas some of the other clubs, which are more market focused, um, will not be um, in, in such a good position. So before the next question, what's your instinct on how the Man City thing will play out with the appeal starting this week? Well, I, I was looking, um, uh, I was looking at an article on this in, in the FT yesterday morning because I, I, I read uh, that's my tabloid uh, read for the day, and it, it, the 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 perception is it comes down to how good your lawyers are. It's a fairly evenly matched case. Um, and I've, I've been I've, I've been involved with uh, some of the guys from Law in Sport this week, um, and, and their perception seemed to be it's it's whoever presents the case with more credibility um, will get it. But although the, the the hearing is taking place at Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week, um, nobody's expecting an actual decision. Uh, it could be till the end of the month, if not longer. Uh, and that will have huge ramifications because, once again, you've got clubs in the Premier League thinking, are we playing for fifth place as a Champions League draw or not? Uh, and things of that nature. Um, I'm intrigued by the image of you reading the Financial Times in bed in the morning. If I, if I was a more mature person, I wouldn't make jokes about you unfolding the pinken in bed. But, you know... Uh, <laughs> People need to know from not from this country that the Pinkin is the nickname for the Financial Times. I'm sure the Baroness loves you. What? Never mind. No, no. Um, <laughs> uh, next question is from Graham Furley. Hello, Graham. Now, Graham, uh, imagine this, Kieran. Graham is a fan of his local football club. Can you imagine that, Kieran? What a his great guy he is. I've, I've, I've walked to him already. Yeah, you're a fan of several of your local clubs, aren't you? Uh, Graham's local club is Weymouth FC. Um, uh, and this is a question that refers to discussions we've had quite a lot about the accounts for smaller clubs. Uh, he says Weymouth being a, a smaller club, they only publish what he calls filleted accounts. Is there a model, says Graham, to analyse the financial health of clubs at that level using only that limited data, or is it too general to make an assessment? And Graham, if you're worried about coming out of this sort of thing, all I would say is be optimistic. If you can recover from Steve Claridge being your manager for a couple of seasons, you can recover from this. So, but so Kieran, that's a good point because we have talked about that quite often, haven't we? The the so-called filleted accounts. 
Um, yes. So, so what happens with uh, with Weymouth is is they produce these micro accounts, which is effectively just a one page summary. Um, so it's it's a bit like a CV. You can't you can't really assess a person on on a single page. All, all that I can pick out from uh, the Weymouth accounts is that they made about thirty grand last year and they're solvent. Which you know, if, if I was a fan, I guess that's probably about all is all I want to know initially. Um, I think that this this is an ongoing problem uh, with with football clubs. Given that they are given certain privileges, perhaps they ought to be more transparent. Um, you know, and, and the, the the legal position is that they don't have to publish any more information. But perhaps here we we could seek some form of leadership from the from the football association itself. All it would have to do is to say that if you want to to enter if you want to enter the football uh, football association cup the fa cup then um if you are above a certain level if you're joining at you know, the first first qualifying round or whatever it's going to be um then you've got to publish full accounts and that's one of the conditions for entry to the competition and if you don't want to uh, if you don't want to be more transparent that's fine but you can't play pay in the fa play in the fa cup and take it from there but we're seeing of course no leadership um from the football authorities once again and it, it strikes me as well, Kieran, that when you've got a fan like Graham, and I'm, I'm only assuming he lives and works in, in Weymouth, um, uh, he may well have moved away to the big city, who, who, Bournemouth, who knows. Um, it, people who support a club like that, and you've probably got, well, I mean, I don't know, 200 season ticket holders, 2,000 regular fans, but, but most of them have got more invested in the club, not just emotionally, but they, they all tend to be involved with local businesses who work with the club or, uh, you know, cafes and hotels and pubs, etc. So it seems to me that they deserve even more to know about the finances of the club. And also, when you talk about earning 30 or making £30,000 and being solvent, that shows what a fine line the finances of clubs like that are because it doesn't take a lot to lose thirty thousand pounds and be insolvent, does it? Well, certainly, and, and and in today's environment, even more so. Um, the, the thing is, we we as fans, we, we're not there to catch clubs out. We 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 love our football clubs. Yeah, we've got this in, this incredible relationship with them. So if if the club gives out gives out more information, you know, then perhaps we can spot things in advance, which could be a potential problem, which the people at the club haven't spotted themselves. So it, it's not a case of uh, being nosy. It's it's a you know you are that emotional investor. You're going to put seventy years of your life into it, and therefore. Or surely you expect something back. After all, you know, we, we are the, these crazy people who are giving companies who are making millions of pounds a year, in, in the case of Premier League clubs, we're giving them their money back in, in the form of, you know, I won't take the season ticket refund. Yeah. Um, yeah, Sainsbury's don't do things like that. You know, uh, I, I, I was due to go to Dublin, uh, I think in two weeks' time. To, to watch the Euro 2020, uh, one of the Euro 2020 matches, and I'd booked with Ryanair. Um, I didn't think, oh, God, you know, old, poor old Ryanair. I, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll waive the refund on that. As, yeah. soon, as soon as it was announced, I was straight in. Uh, but, but with the rea- relation with the football club's different. Yeah, I'm glad you're not going to Dublin. Dublin's wasted on a teetotaler like you. Um, uh, also, I should point out, Kieran, that when you say fans might be able to spot things in the accounts and help the club out, you might be able to spot things in the accounts and help the club out. I, I wouldn't be able, There's no point Palace sending me the accounts and let me read them. I wouldn't be able to spot the elephant in the room if there was an actual elephant in the room with a spreadsheet. <laughs> so, um, 
Now, uh, next question is from Harry Dromey. Now, Harry has made me all nostalgic. Harry, you've made me very nostalgic and wistful by asking a question about EPPP. Those were the days, weren't they? Um, EPPP, the, the Elite Player Performance Plan. And Harry's question is an interesting topical one. Now more than ever, Harry says, will the EFL regret agreeing to uh, EPPP as the Premier League can hoover up players from wherever they want, which removes an incentive for them to support the pyramid, i.e., that all those clubs in leagues one and two who are developing talent for them. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. This because paradoxically, the EPPP scheme is is probably going to help smaller clubs in in a COVID environment more than it did in a in a pre COVID environment. Simply because the transfer market is going to collapse this summer. And um, for people who aren't familiar with EPPP, um, it works on the basis is that if you are a uh, buying club, you you can acquire um, an academy player, a player up to the age of, of sixteen, from another club, and you pay them a fixed amount of compensation. So that's that is determined in advance. Um, now, what I would suspect is that in in a COVID environment, given that the transfer market is is dead um, for lower league clubs, that they probably would potentially they could have lost those players for nothing. Mm. Um, but I, I take him on board the comments he's made because what happened was that when EPPP was uh, introduced, it meant things such as the ninety minute rule. So if you were Manchester United, you couldn't recruit um, a, 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 an academy player if he lived more than ninety minutes from your training facility. So that was abolished, um, and there's this fixed compensation formula. Um, which is based on the the tier of the academy, the number of years the the young man has been in development at the club, and so on. Um, so you know exactly how much is going to be paid, um, and in return for that, uh, the Premier League guaranteed the solidarity payments, which is effectively a share of the TV deal, which goes to clubs in the EFL. So it was the, the Premier League clubs gained access to players potentially on the cheap, um, and in return that they guaranteed amounts in, in terms of the TV money. Um, I mean, to be fair to EPPP, and I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not its biggest fan, um, it also um, gives guaranteed sums for players if they break into the first team of the recruiting club. So if you, if you are a uh, a young player who goes, who is signed for a Premier League club. Yeah, the the, the selling club for for a kid who's fifteen or sixteen, they can get up to one point three million pounds. Um, if, if based on the number of appearances, the downside is sort of the you, you'll remember John Bostock. Uh, you know th- those type of independent uh, fee appraisals are no longer taking place. Oh, the, the mere mention of John Bostock breaks my heart. The, the best young kid I've seen in a Palace shirt in, in all my life. And, and never mind. That's a, what a terrible waste of talent. But um, next question, Trevor Kennish. Trevor says, uh, and I quote, I'm not sure how deeply down the league you delve. Now, Trevor, a few weeks ago we were doing Sunday football. We delve deep. Trevor. Um, but Tre- Trevor says, is there a league in Europe that does financial viability the best? And what could we learn from them if so? And Trevor ends with an apology. Uh, and it's an apology to the Baroness. And he, he says, I apologise to the Baroness in advance if this question spurs Kieran to too much 6am spreadsheet diving. Trevor, that's the last of the Baroness's 6am worries. <laughs> let, me, let, let me tell you. <laughs> 
Poor old Baron. We'll have to get the Baroness on and give her a right to reply. She does exist, by the way, people. So those people asking me whether she does actually, she, she does. And speaking, do you know what, Kieran? I've been getting, I've had three direct messages this week from people telling me that you're doing other pods. Like the fact that they direct message me, just like just just so you know, he's done the Preston one. Yes, I know all about it. Don't worry. So I'm being I'm being perceived as the injured part. <laughs> anyway, but Trevor's question: Is there a, is there a league in Europe that that's that's properly financial viable and that we could learn from? Um, well, I, I did I did contact our European correspondent, the Swiss Ramble, on this, but he never replies to our messages. I think he's he's too busy. Counting his millions in Switzerland, yeah, we, we can't um, afford. We can't afford Swiss Ramble. They can, we, we, we can't. <laughs> so, it, it, we can't. So that's God bless you for being so optimistic. We can't. <laughs> yeah, that must made me laugh. The idea you tried to get in touch with Swiss Ramble. Anyway, carry on. Swiss Ramble, by the way, for those who don't know, is uh, another so-called football expert. Financial-wise, but you know, we know we know who's the best, Kieran. We know. No, no, he, he he is the daddy. I'm I'm the Andrew Ridgely to his George Michael yeah, when it comes to not, football finance. He's not doing the Preston podcast, though, is he? <laughs> yeah. That's true. He's, yes, less, yeah. you know, he's not spreading. <laughs> and anyway, so Swiss Ramble didn't reply. So did you get a response? Um, when it, well, well, my view is that it would be Germany, and and the reason for that is that there's less focus on. Uh, casino-style spending, because of they've got the 50-plus-1 rule, which prevents foreign owners from coming in and spending money um, without, without real consideration for it. Uh, it means that, uh, that the, German, the German football overall tends to be um, a little bit more cautious when it comes to splashing the cash, and therefore sustainability um, is, is a greater issue. And you've got more fan involvement it, because, because no one person can own more than 49% of the shares. It means that there's lots of fan groups who do become um, owners and shareholders. It's it, it's also incredibly noticeable, watching the Bundesliga in this last couple of weeks, um, I'm not sure I enjoyed Bayer Leverkusen's experiment in fake fan atmosphere yesterday, but watching the Bundesliga, every single club that I've been watching in the Bundesliga has three or four young players in it, homegrown talent. I mean, BT Sport were pointing that out yesterday. Um, again, that's another huge... I mean, is that is that policy or is that as a result of most German clubs not being able to afford big-name foreign players? Well, I, I think the the budget element is a consideration. Remember, we've also got five substitutes allowed now, so it does allow the clubs to uh, to yeah. blood players. But the the German TV deal is uh, very progressive because a proportion of the money in the TV deal is given based on the number of minutes that your under twenty three players um, play in each match. So that that is actively encourages clubs to bring the players through from the academy because they know there is going to be a financial reward on the back of it. That's very interesting. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to the five subs rule in the Premier League as a Palace fan. As rumour has it that Roy Hodgson might play somebody as young as 28, which would be great. Um, Chris Toundro is a very happy Blades fan. He probably didn't need to point that out, Chris, but uh, congratulations. Uh, and his question about Sheffield United is this. They got promoted to the Premier League having lost £10 million. How does that compare to other lot? Is it is it normal for a club to get promoted and lose money? I think I, think I can guess the answer to this from, uh, from the, the, well, the way you described the championship. It was a clown car last week. Um, so how does that £10 million loss compare to other losses? Um, well, I've, I've been through uh, the, the list of clubs promoted for the last few seasons, 
And Sheffield United's £10 million loss was the second lowest. Um, the the lowest, only one which oh, was, was smaller than that was, was Norwich in 2015. But remember, in that year, they, they, they had the benefit of parachute payments, so they would have incurred a huge loss. Over the course of the last five years, the promoted clubs between them lost £551 million. So it, it, this is this is why I call it a clown car. It's just it, the, the wheels are going to fall off at one point. You know, half a billion pounds for the privilege of playing, you know, of, of playing Watford at uh, 12.30 on a Saturday afternoon. You know, is, is it worth it? Well, has your research found a club then? See, I was, I was stuttering then because I still sometimes struggle to take in the figures that you throw at me, even, even after all this time. Has a club ever spent more money getting out of the Championship than they would actually make in the Premier League? Because it strikes me that if that hasn't happened, it's going to happen shortly, isn't it? Um, yes, I, I think Fulham uh, came pretty close to it last season. They, they lost wow. £53 million getting promoted, and then they lost a, a huge amount in their one and only year in the in the Premier League. Because if you remember, they spent an absolute fortune on, on player recruitment last season. Um, so they ended up probably worse off overall. Uh, so it, it's, not, it's not a common thing, but it's certainly feasible. Now, Ken, the next question uh, is from a guy called Kyle Parkhurst. Hello, Kyle. Great name, Kyle Parkhurst. I believe, Kieran, you had an uncle uh, by the name of Parkhurst. Parkhurst Dave, is that right? Um, (laughs) Kyle Parkhurst sends greetings from Salt Lake City, uh, and we send Salt Lake City greetings back. Um, Now, I don't know if Kyle is from Salt Lake City and supports Sunderland or is from Sunderland and moved to Salt Lake City. It doesn't matter. We're a global industry. Uh, But Kyle... uh, he wants. To, there's a growing number of concerns from Sunderland fans, and I think this is a, a club that's been rumbling with discontent for some time now. It looks like they're going to have another year in League One, probably. We don't know. We'll find more about that out on Tuesday, whether they're even playing. But a simple question, and a rather plaintive one, is how bad does it look for the Black Cats if they do have another season in League One? Um, well, they're, they're going to get a sort of a double whammy uh, if they are in League One next season. And the reason for that is that they're presently in League One. They, they are the only club, I think, ever to have received two years worth of parachute payments in League One uh, from coming down from the Premier League. So their parachute payments this season are worth around about £15 million, and that will drop to a, a an EFL TV deal um, next year where they'll get around about one and a quarter million. So you know, 90% of that income stream is going to, to fall. Um, they're not going to have matches taking place in front of fans. Realistically, you know, until you know, 2021 at the earliest, I think is a fair assessment. Um, so yeah, they've got a significant reduction in money coming in. Um, they, they've got yeah, their overheads are high because it's a big stadium, big training facilities, things of that nature. Um, they, they did, of course, sign the likes of you know, Will Grigg for four million pounds from Wigan last season. So he's on a big contract. I think the majority of the players who were on big contracts, they will have gone. But even so, I think there's an expectation amongst the fan base that uh, Sunderland will be paying more than most clubs. They certainly did last season. Uh, their wage bill was five times the average of uh, of that division. So it, it's going to be really challenging. Um, and, and they're not helping themselves in terms of what we've seen in, in respect of the, the season ticket issue that we were discussing earlier. 
now this will seem like a simple question, uh, Kieran, but as you know, the dynamics of this pod are that you're the clever one and I am the lovable idiot. But why are they the only club to have received two parachute payments? I didn't quite understand that. Well, because um, they they went straight from the Premier League to the Championship and League One, and then they weren't promoted out again. So right. the only time that's ever happened before was when Wolverhampton Wanderers were uh, they they were relegated in 2012, 2013. They went uh, Premier League, Championship, League One, but then they went back up to the Championship. So um, you get you get pre- you get uh, parachute payments for three years. And it, it, normally, if a club the size of Wolves or Sunderland does drop into League One, you would expect them to you know, show a bit of bounce-back ability at that level. Um, but uh, Sunderland failed to do that. So this, this this is the parachute payment from the Premier League. There's no parachute payment if you get relegated from the Championship. That's correct. Yes, you, right, you just okay. drop in. You just have the, <clears throat> um, the, the 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 TV deal um, from the right. from the Championship itself. Now, penultimate question is from Greg Charlesworth. Uh, now, Greg, <clears throat> transfer speculation rumbles on despite the, the COVID crisis. Uh, should Man United fans be more concerned about Alexis Sanchez than Jaden Sancho? Nice, elegant. Well done, Greg. That's I do like a question that's couched nicely. Um, basically, what Greg's saying is, will Sanchez's mega wages affect Man United's flexibility in the transfer market or their ability to loan him out, working on the basis that clubs will be reluctant to contribute to such a big wage bill. And on a general note, what happens when a massive wage earner at a club is no longer wanted by that club? Um, in terms of an issue such as this, um, it, it's uh, it, it's fairly clear that he's he's not had a successful time at Manchester United. He's not had a particularly successful time at Milan either. So therefore, I think the chances of the Milan signing Sanchez on on a full time contract are slim. Um, I think Manchester United, to a certain extent, have are victims of their own desperation to be seen to be outbidding Manchester City for a player. So because you know Sanchez could ease, was was due to go to City, Manchester United came in and they trumped him um in terms of the wage offerings and, and therefore he went for the higher wage and and he's not delivered. Um the, the problem that United have got is that they they face either um if they let him go, I think they'd have to let him go on a free transfer because you know, somebody's wow. have to pick up those wages. Um, so they can't really expect a fee for him. Um, if they let him stay, then clearly he's, he's racking up, you know, realistically, uh, £20 million a year in wages. And even if he goes on loan, what the, the loan uh, club is likely to say is, well, we're only prepared to pay 10% of the wages. Hmm. So it's it's an expensive problem um, that they've got on their hands, and clearly, if you if you're looking at a minimum you know cost to United, let's say of fifteen million next season, um, then uh, yeah, that's that's fifteen million which which comes out of the transfer budget and comes out of your ability to uh, pay a replacement player. Yeah, I think we're going to have to stop using the word Trump, aren't we, in this day and age? It's, it's starting to have very different connotations, unfortunately. Our final question comes from Matt Thicket. Uh, this is a slightly unusual question, but I, I think uh, legitimate. Um, now, Matt Thicket's question is, uh, Kieran, how true to life are finances within the computer game football manager? Because in the game, one way to secure marquee signings is performance bonuses. Uh, if actual football clubs do that... Um, and actual football doesn't return, will clubs still have to pay them? And while we're on the subject, how is it that uh, in Zelda, 
I can light four candles with one boomerang, but I can't do that in real life. <laughs> I didn't know you were a Zelda fan. Yeah, it's, it's probably my guilty secret. I've been that's getting me through lockdown quite a lot. Is playing oh. old RPGs on my phone. <laughs> I'm working through Dragon. I'm working through Dragon Quest at the moment. I take no pride in saying that, but you know. The only thing is I get bored right at the end. When you get right onto the last final boss battle, I think, oh, I've done that now. Find something else. Sorry, it's a terrible insight into two middle-aged men's life. Anyway. Um, the, 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 just now I've got the idea of the Baroness you put in the Financial Times down and picking up your Nintendo. But, um, uh, so Matt's question, uh, perform, performance bonuses, do they exist in real life? Of course they exist in real life, but will clubs have to pay them if there's no football? Um, no, there is no obligation because it is based on uh, individual matches taking place. But there's a second issue here. There's a goodwill factor. Um, so if we take into consideration Manchester City and Kevin De Bruyne, he's got a £1.5 million bonus, which is based on Manchester City being in the Champions League. Now, it could be that Manchester City, we are, they certainly are going to appear in the top four. I think there's no doubt about that. Um, but they could be, of course, prohibited from attending the Champions League yeah. next season. So, therefore, does that bonus kick in? Legally, probably not. If I was Manchester City, it would be the one of the first things I'd do. Say, Kevin, we love you. Um, which you know, yeah. words which you know, are close to your heart as well. Um, but um, and, and we say as a matter as a as a goodwill gesture, we're going to pay you that bonus because we feel it's the right and proper thing to do. Um, in terms of football manager, um, I, I did I did text them this morning, um, and and they contacted us back. Did um, they? You hear that so Swiss they, ramble? You hear that uh, Swiss ramble? <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, they said, yeah, that the wage in the wage information is is checked independently um, by you know they know people in the industry, um, so they they think that they are pretty close to the actual earnings. You know, they they reckon they're within ten percent either way. Um, so if you take a look at uh, Football Manager, you know, clearly it will give you a, a, a roughly accurate uh, set of data if you if you want to get those in, intimate details of your favourite players. Yes, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm sure if Kevin De Bruyne does get his his bonus, uh, Yaya Toro will be saying, "I didn't even get a cake," <laughs> and he's getting his. I mean, if, if, uh, Kevin De Bruyne's uh, lawyers would argue that um, it's not down to him that his performance was good enough to get Man City in the Champions League, and it's not down to him the reasons why they are. I mean, something like image rights, for example, then they wouldn't be affected, would they? Because your player's image, you can still advertise, you can still sponsor stuff, can't you? That's right, but it, it could be that your image rights contract is linked to the, uh, the the competitions in which you're playing. So Kevin De Bruyne's image rights might decrease next season if he's not appearing in the Champions League due to the nature of the contracts that he is with sponsors. Uh, Manchester City might sell fewer shirts next season because they're not in the Champions League. So that there's, there's huge ramifications for all of this. Um, and I think it's fair to say our, our friends with silver tongues will be going through the small print very carefully over the course of the summer. Yes, I'm, I'm glad Football Manager got back to you, by the way, just to thank you to them for doing that. Um, I, I think their figures are so are very accurate. I know one or two clubs have, have offered them quite a bit of money, I hear, for their database because they these games know about – they're watching football all over the world, basically, to collate statistics. And there are a couple of clubs who fancy them as a scouting system. Um, that's how accurate they are. Um, still no answer to the four candles of Ron Boomerang question. Perhaps you could text Zelda. Um, 
so that's it for for Monday's questions uh, pod. Some good proper old fashioned accounting questions for Kieran to get his teeth into on Thursday. I'm sure our main story will be the outcome of that vote about the continuation or not of League One football and the ramifications of that. Uh, until then, thank you for listening. Um, my old favourite sentence is back. Thank you, Guy. The Price of Football is Adapted Production. If you have questions for us for next week's questions pod, it's questions at priceoffootball.com. Uh, we have to go now because I believe Kieran's got a double-handed uh, Brentford QPR pod to get to. Is that right? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> yeah. All right. See you next time, mate. Bye-bye. Cheers now. Bye-bye, all. The Price of Football. I stand for the ball. This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. This is Creepy, a collection of the most famous and disturbing stories and urban legends from the deepest, darkest corners of the web. Hosted by creator John Grills and a cast of creepy narrators. New stories added every Sunday. Listener discretion is advised. Listen free on your favorite podcatcher or find us at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts. ACAST is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts.